Hello, I'm Joshua Vickery. And I'm Rob Lott, and welcome to From the Heart. Central Florida is widely known for its tourist spots and attractions, but many people don't know about its thriving arts community. On this show, we are excited to introduce to you talented and passionate artists who shape our arts community. How do they create and why? How can Central Florida benefit from an even greater arts presence? On each episode, we'll introduce you to guests who are influential leaders and artists who are truly making a difference. From the Heart with a capital A-R-T. <laughs> What's up, Rob Lott? Hello, Joshua Vickery. Thanks for having me back. Of course. It is an absolute joy to have you on the show. And, you know, Mary and I get the privilege of doing this every week. But when one of us needs to be out, we call in one of our amazing co-hosts. Happy and to do it. So we're glad you're here. Mary is out saving the world through improvisation. <laughs> every every time you're here, you, <laughs> she's saving the world doing something. Out of that, Mary, she's always got our cape on. Well, she always says about you, uh, Joshua couldn't be here. He is out saving the world through <laughs> arts. <laughs> And so I figure, you know, she should have some of the same accolades. She I, is out saving the world through improvisation and I storytelling. I totally agree. I totally agree. So, Rob, what's new? What's good? What did you see in the in the arts community? You know what? Week? I had a great uh, week in the arts community here in Central Florida. I will say a lot of it came in to our Central Florida community art, uh, arts arts <laughs> community, rather. Um, and uh, the um, I, I saw the new Cirque show, not, well, new to us, the right. Cirque du Soleil show that is right in our backyard there at the Florida. Florida Mall. Um, I believe uh, it's called uh, Luzio. Luzio. L U Z I O. So, yeah, I believe that's how you say that. Luzio. Um, but, yeah, but um, it was fantastic, and I'll tell you why. Um, first off, of course, just. Oh, it's Lucia. 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 That's even better. <laughs> That's a better way of saying it. Cirque du Soleil, and my apologies if you're, if you're listening to this. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. And uh, we saw that on Thursday night, uh, excuse me, Friday night. And uh, it, was, it was great. And if you have an opportunity, um, just all live music, the performers are obviously incredible. I always say about the Cirque du Soleil shows, um, you know, the, the acrobatics are great and all of that, everything that they do with that. But then magically they, they, I'm, I'm always sitting in the audience watching a Cirque show and I go, oh, well, that's really cool. That's amazing what they're doing, but I bet they couldn't do this. I uh, bet they can't raise they it to the next. And then they do every single time. And this show was no different. I was just looking at some images online of the show mm -hmm. and it's just gorgeous. Yeah. You know, that's one of the things that that's so cool about the Cirque shows is they just don't hold back on any area of the production value, right? Whether it's the the um, the risk they're taking artistically, nope. the costumes, the lighting, the yeah. sound, everything is just... Well, and if you think, I mean, I know so many people have seen their shows in Vegas and, uh, and, and we have uh, the show there at Disney Springs uh, that's going to be reopening soon. Mm -hmm. um, and many people have seen those shows, but... Um, this is actually in a tent. It's a classic circus, big top. Uh, oh, it's in a tent. It's in a tent there in the in the in the the parking lot of the Florida Mall. Wow. And and you would think, oh, okay, well, it's if it's in a tent, then you know chances are good. They had to scale back on 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 how on the production value, and they do not. Wow. It is incredible. You when you go and see the show, you'll be amazed at everything that their stage and space is able to do. I was I was blown away. Isn't this about about um, the storytelling or the ancestry of Mexico, right? Yeah. Is that what the story? The, the theme is Mexican culture. Okay. Um, and so it's Mexican art and music and, uh, you know, the, their performance style and all of it is so great. They had, for me personally, they had an amazing scream and trumpet that I just could not get enough of. <laughs> so great. He was, he was incredible. You love and you some live trumpet I music. Really, I really, really do. <laughs> the other thing that I saw that was in town last week um, was Fiddler on the Roof. 
Ah, yes. It was a great production, it wasn't it? It was a fantastic show. Did you see it? I did not get to okay. go. So um, here, what was interesting about it um, was at the at the very beginning and at the very end, and we were having much discussion about it. Uh, our guest is over there uh, nodding her head and saying, <laughs> yeah, I had questions about this too. So Tevya shows up to do his opening monologue. And what's interesting is it appeared as though he was set in modern day, in present time. He was wearing a red coat oh. that was clearly a present day costume uh -huh. piece. And um, and and so uh, forgive my voice, by the way. I'm I'm, I'm dealing with some vocal fatigue uh, oh, from performing all this last just week. It actually makes you sound like your voice is so much deeper. Oh, my, well, that's, well, we'll take it. <laughs> but so the show opened with him wearing this coat, and then he begins his monologue and takes off the coat and sets it on a chair, and then the rest of the the scene the the show comes in, and all of them are now in the period costumes that you expect. And we were having some really great discussion about how. This story of Fiddler on the Roof, it's, it comes from the classic golden age of mm -hmm. musical theater, mm -hmm. of Broadway. Uh, but I think that what that did was it set the show, uh, for me personally, what I took away from it, it set the show in a modern, um, uh, it, it was kind of saying this story isn't over. Mm -hmm. That we, that we, there are still cultures that are dealing. It's still applicable to today. It's still applicable right? today. And so at the very beginning of the show, he is wearing this coat. And then at the very end, he puts it back on saying, this isn't done. This story isn't over. And I, I, I very much enjoyed that and appreciated that. And it really gave a whole new, um, fresh look to that story that we know so well wow, and that music we know so I well. I didn't see it, but I really do love that interpretation because, you know, we talk about all the time on this show about, you know, doing you know, not doing art just for art's sake sometimes, but really because there is a purpose behind it. There is a, a way for us to facilitate conversation. There's a way, and that's exactly what this is, right? Like Phil on the Roof, I've probably seen, I was in Phil on the Roof in college, but just that one moment made you go, wait a second, mm -hmm. right? Like this is something that's still happening today. And just a, a slight interpretation change. Just real quick. It really, was just a taste at the it beginning. It meant something different to yeah. you this time when you watched it. That's that's why I love art. So great. Well, what about you, Josh? What have you been up to? So I have kind of been out with my cape on, not saving the world, <laughs> but trying to save arts funding uh, for sure. But the last couple weeks I was in Washington, D.C. for a couple of days. And then yesterday I was in uh, Tallahassee. And, um, you know, there, this arts uh, funding conversation is huge, both on the national level and on the state level. And last year, um, I've mentioned this a couple of times on the show, uh, here in the state of Florida, and we were cut 94% in arts funding. We became Man. the 48th lowest state uh, in our country for arts funding. We went from $48 million to $2 million. That was split between 664 organizations across our state. So we're really advocating and rallying around trying to get that funding back this year. And uh, we were met with more receptive ears uh, yesterday than I think we've ever been before. So listeners, if you believe, and hopefully you do because you're listening to the show, that arts are important in our not just our, our community but across our state, write your legislators, call them, you reach out to them in their district offices and in Tallahassee because the budget will be dropping in the next couple of weeks and then the vote will be happening shortly after. So we got to make sure that that money is in there for arts funding. So you were there. Who else was there uh, as far as kind of lending their influence to this? Yeah. So in D.C., I was actually um, only one of seven represent, uh, representatives of the entire state. So mm -hmm. it was really great uh, experience. Uh, there were 22 of us from the Central Florida region uh, that went up to Tallahassee. So uh, a lot of art leaders, a few arts advocates, um, people from United Arts in Orange County, 
Um, so it was a really great delegation of people. And, um, you know, anybody can go to Tallahassee and request meetings with your legislators. And you, w whether it's arts or whatever it may be, find your passion and go and try and, and make a difference. Because um, truly, when, when we speak, um, our legislators listen, right? We are their constituents. So if enough of us raise our voice... Um, then it gets their attention. And so arts funding is definitely one of those. So uh, stay tuned. Hopefully we're going to be making good announcements. I mean, you, for me, you can only go up from 2.6 million, right? <laughs> you can only go up. Right. I mean, it could be eliminated totally, but hopefully we're going to see an increase this year. So uh, super excited, though, about a lot of the commitments we got from both on the Senate and on the House yesterday. That's great. And and in in the meantime, uh, let's, let's do what we can personally to... Uh, to support our, our local arts and uh, whatever possible thing that we can do. Um, raise your voice, but also raise your dollars and, and show up, buy some tickets, go to museums, do those things, show that it's important, but at the same time, let let uh, let the legislators know. Yeah, wouldn't it be great that if uh, if everyone stepped up to buy tickets and donate, we wouldn't need the state funding. It would be great. It <laughs> would be less be great. of a conversation. So, uh, but we appreciate you even listening to this show because that means uh, you are excited to learn about all the things that are happening and good in our arts community. So today, uh, I'm really excited about this conversation because in in the year and a half of our TV show and a year and a half of the radio show. We've never talked about arts in the prison system. Hmm. And Rob, you and I know we see it so much through our organization that we serve, um, how much it can make a difference, whether people are seniors or disabilities or in marginalized populations. And we know that the arts truly can save lives. They can change lives. And this is one of those really great examples. And I'm just so excited about having the conversation and and can't believe we haven't already had the conversation. But this is today we're, we're talking to uh, several people who have who've been involved in this and Wendy Lamoureux, who is on our team over at Central Florida Community Arts, but has been at Disney and all sorts of fun stuff. Um, she's here to to begin the conversation. So welcome, Wendy. Thank you. We're glad you're here. I like uh, Rob there. I'm <clears throat> dealing with a lower voice. Yes, but you also <laughs> said you were in radio at some point, so you know how to you know how to get the radio voice going. Yes, 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 voice, yes, yes, yes. It's like it's like. Yes. Uh, well, I was going to say Delilah, but I don't know if I can. Is that the wrong station? No, I think, I think we're okay. We're okay. We got oh, the thumbs okay. up. Yeah, yeah, we're okay. Tom says we're good. okay. Yeah. I can promote Delilah. Okay, very yeah. good. So, Wendy, um, you know, you are a, a master teaching artist. Uh, you work with a lot of different or um, populations. Mm -hmm. Yes, I uh, do. You work in a lot of underserved populations. Uh, you work with uh, people with disabilities. You know, you really are out in the trenches mm -hmm. making the arts accessible in a variety of ways. And one day we'll have you come back and tell us about all of that. Oh, I would but love why, to. But why is this particular conversation about making the arts accessible and available to people in the prison system? Why is this important to you? Uh, you know, in 2009, I decided that I was going to go and spend a year in Belfast, Northern Ireland. <clears throat> Excuse me. And... Um, I went searching to see what organization, because I've been involved with mission trips to Northern Ireland since 2004, and I went. Why to Northern see, Ireland? Did, well, is, okay, so we can we can there? go all the way back to when I was a student at the Shakespeare Institute, living okay. in England, and the Good Friday Peace Accord was being dealt with at that time by Bill Clinton and uh, a lot of our upper politicians trying mm -hmm. to help them broker uh, a peace deal. And I watched this on the BBC News every night. I mean, there's nothing like learning about the rest of the world by visiting another country. Wow. Um, we have a tendency to be very insular here in the United States mm, and sure. not pay attention to what's going on. So it just broke my heart watching these people deal 
with the troubles they were dealing with, seeing news stories of children being yelled at and having rocks thrown at them as they're trying to get to school, um, that just broke my heart. Mm -hmm. So when I came back from England at the end of 99, um, I got involved with our outreach program at St. Luke's United Methodist Church. Mm -hmm. We had um, a program going on uh, with another minister whose church was right on the peace line. So he was at what we call the interface, Catholic across the street, Protestant where he was. Um, So I started going over there just to find out what's going on and how I could help. So my heart has been there for quite a while. Um, So in 2009, I went over, I had lost my job and I went to see what can I do now to to reinvent myself and to make a difference. Mm. And I discovered the Educational Shakespeare Company or as we call it, ESC. Well, tell us a little bit about that first. What is the, what is, what, that's an institute where you're going to learn more about Shakespeare? The Educational Shakespeare Company is a nonprofit out of Belfast, and they work with the marginalized community. They've gone in and worked with prisoners in prison. They went into McGabry Prison outside of Belfast and rewrote Macbeth and set it inside of a prison, and the prisoners themselves actually rewrote the script. Wow. And wow. they filmed it it um, when it was able to be released because they had to wait a certain number of years before it could be released mm-hmm. within the United Kingdom because of some of the prisoners and the and the the term limits that they were having over there at the time um, because some of the prisoners had been political prisoners. Okay. Um, so when it was released it got a lot of accolades, a lot of awards and brought attention to how Shakespeare can be used within prison, and then from there, arts programs. I had the opportunity to go as a missionary through my church, so I was supported through St. Luke's, to be over there for a year and work with them. And I got to work with these ex-prisoners just coming out and how they were trying to readjust to life. And if they hadn't had some sort of prison uh, experience inside, some sort of arts experience inside, then they had a harder time adjusting to the outside world. Mm -hmm. Um, The gentleman that I got to work with during the second six months of my uh, time over there were sent to the ESC programs by the Northern Irish Probation Board. Mm. And they had to go through these programs. They had to uh, go through classes with Tom, the, uh, the founder of ESC, Um, they learned how to deal with their emotions. They did Augustus Bowal exercises. Augustus Bowal is the father of um, theater of oppression. Mm -hmm. Um, They learn trust, they learn sharing, and then they get to the point where they write their own stories and put them on film. All right, we're just getting this conversation going. And one of the things I want to know when we come back, Wendy, is why Shakespeare, right? Like, you hear that a lot, Shakespeare being used in these types of situations. I want to know why. So join us back here on Magic 107.7 FM from the heart.
Welcome back to From the Heart on Magic 107.7 FM. This is Joshua Vickery here with my very talented conversationalist co-host today, <laughs> Rob Lott. Uh, Mary is out saving the world through improv, as as Rob <laughs> likes to say. And today, we're Rob, we're having a, a really cool conversation, uh, something we haven't talked about on this show before, and that is using the arts uh, to reach people through the prison system and to reach people through uh, through the penitentiaries, as you had said earlier, Wendy. And Wendy Lamoureux is also here with us, a great teaching artist who got a lot of her foundational work started in Shakespeare, right? The Shakespeare Institute. Yes. And but as you were sharing some of the stories with us, you know, I said, I, I'd like to know why Shakespeare, right? Like, so we have a fabulous Shakespeare theater here in Orlando, uh, but Shakespeare sometimes is hard to read and it's sometimes it's hard to digest, right? It's got a lot of heaviness to it sometimes. And, and I would argue that that's not the case. So oh. tell me why. That's why I'm asking Hit the it. question. Why uh, Shakespeare? Shakespeare is actually non-judgmental. It has a story that is timeless. I mean, look at Romeo and Juliet. Uh-huh. Um, everybody knows that story. And so when you say it's not judgmental, well, isn't Romeo and Juliet judgmental? Like, isn't uh, the whole well, foundation... Well, if, if you're looking at from the eyes of the characters. Okay, so you're saying but from, from the it's audience. Safe. It's, it's safe. safe. Okay. Um, Shakespeare is accessible to everybody. It's amazing to me, too, some of the uh, ex-prisoners that I have met who told me that their love of Shakespeare is what saved them from, and there's a fantastic book uh, called Shakespeare Saved My Life, um, that is just gives you the foundation of how these men learned so much about their own lives from reading the stories of Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Um, to see it's them, like a mirror kind it's of? a There's mirror a image. It helps them connect. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly it's been used in women's uh, prisons yeah. as well. I keep saying men because that's who I had worked with at the Educational Shakespeare Company in Belfast. Mm-hmm. But um, it they just connect through the common story. Mm-hmm. It's well, So I... I I know that um, I, I personally have never performed Shakespeare, um, but I know that the the style of preparation mm-hmm. uh, for performing Shakespeare um, has carried over into other um, other other play preparation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in talking to those Shakespearean actors, and in talking to some of our friends over at the Shakes, I know that they do a whole bunch of what they call table work. Yes. Um, and the idea is basically you open up the script and you start going through your character, going through the whole story. And the table work is taking this dense, um, oftentimes uh, upon first reading, hard to understand mm-hmm. um, uh, dialogue, um, the way that it's written in poetic form and <clears throat> and, and a lot of um, uh, visual uh, wording and things right. like that, a, a lot of, uh, um, uh, you know, I know what you're saying. Yeah, a lot of poetic uh, uh, ways ways of speaking. Yeah, iambic pentameter. And and breaking Mm -hmm. that down Mm -hmm. and saying, okay, what does this mean? Exactly. And um, and and how would you say this today? And then applying what, as you've broken it down, and how would I say this today? Applying that. Uh, intent to the original text. Interesting, yeah. And so that's oftentimes whenever you see Shakespeare done well, it's because that preparation has been done. And Mm -hmm. so you may not, as an audience member, understand uh, necessarily all of the deep inner meaning of the dialogue, but you can tell, oh, these two characters do not get along. Right. Oh, and these two are absolutely <laughs> And it totally so, is up to the artist on the stage to get that across to you. Right. Yeah. It's their responsibility as the actor of that role. 
So tell us then, as far as bringing Shakespeare into the prisons. Well, I can tell you that at McGabry, when they did Macbeth, uh-huh. um, I've spoken to these gentlemen after they had gotten out, because I wasn't there working with ESC when they did Macbeth at, at McGabry. Um, they had it down pat to a point where they were saying things like, he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth does mm. not work, especially during our troubles. We were just fighting each other back and forth. You know, the whole the whole thing of vengeance yeah. does, uh, is, it doesn't work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It does not work. And so they had been able to take that dialogue. They took it apart. <clears throat> and they sat down and rewrote it yeah. in their modern language of Northern Ireland. Yeah. And it, do you find that in a lot of uh, of Shakespeare works, you know, it's I think it's probably easy to find themes yes. right, that come out. But Most do you definitely. find that redemption is a theme a lot that it's huge. easy to translate it to huge. Maybe this conversation? Yes, it's absolutely huge. Thank you. You, you hit the nail on the head. Um, redemption is available to everyone right. if they want it. And this was the thing, when I was looking at where I was going to go and work, I thought, I don't want to do prison work. Mm. That was not my intention. Mm-hmm. And then I met Tom McGill and sat and talked to him, and he told me his story and the problems that he had had and the time that he had spent in prison. Mm-hmm. And the light bulb came on, and it was like a little voice talking in the back of my head, you know what, everybody deserves redemption if they wow, want it. Yeah, and yeah. It, it totally changed my life, changed my view of now what I want to do. Um, That's incredible. So we have a, a, a special guest uh, on on the line today. And you had said um, earlier, Wendy, that this this gentleman is like the the kind of the godfather he, of this I call work. him the godfather of Shakespeare <laughs> in prison. The godfather of Shakespeare in prison. And we're so happy to have him on, on the line today from Michigan. Um, it's probably a little bit colder up there uh, where he is. But Kurt Toflan, am I saying that right? Kurt Toflan from uh, Shakespeare Behind Bars. Welcome, Kurt. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Oh, well, Hi, we... Wendy. Hi, Kurt. It's so good to hear your voice. <laughs> Yours, too. Well, Kurt, I know, I, you, I know you can't see Wendy because you're in Michigan and she's here with us. But when, when you just said hello to her... She just perked up and a big old <laughs> smile came on her face. I can tell she has a lot of respect for you and, and for your work. So, uh, Kurt, what's the weather like up there in Michigan? Uh, it's about 60 degrees. Oh. Uh, we just had a, a big thunderstorm, um, but it looks like we're it's abating for a bit. So it's uh, we're we're just stepping our foot into spring this week okay right. well Most that was not the, the answer i was expecting i thought you were going to say like three <laughs> degrees and then i was going to brag no. that it was 80 here so you 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 yeah. you, you stole his thunder you stole my thunder yeah. uh, no, no pun intended but but kurt we are so glad you're here and thank you for the incredible work that you've done through shakespeare behind bars i guess my first question would be for you and I, i'm sitting here looking at your mission statement and your vision statement and, and how you got started and why you got started. And uh, one of the things that, that just really resonated with me was that, you know, you believe and it was founded on the belief that all human beings are born inherently good and that these convicted criminals that you're working with through the prison system, although they might have committed some type of crime or have done something maybe that they regret, the inherent goodness still lives deep within them. And you believe that through this creative process and bringing Shakespeare to them, 
that they're then able to find that goodness again. And I just think that's so beautiful. Is that what drives you, Kurt? Yeah, I, I think that that's true. Um, all children are born innocent. All children are born spotless. The problem is they're born sometimes into poverty, racism, uh, violence, uh, addictions, sex abuse. You know. They're just, uh, they don't have an opportunity because a child is simply a mirror. Hamlet says, hold the mirror up to nature. You know, what a that's what a child does. A child looks at the world around them and figures that's the way the world must work mm. because these are my experiences. And if there's no one to dissuade them from that, then um, they, they end up uh, oftentimes uh, in, in prison. And do, do you believe that you use the arts, uh, well, Shakespeare and ultimately the arts, to enlighten these, these uh, men and women uh, that there is a better life out there, and there is good out there, and that they don't have to be uh, you know, a victim of their own circumstances? Yeah, that's the that's the journey. The journey is um, building first a, a, a circle of trust because you can't do anything unless you lay the groundwork for, for trust. And then I use art, theater, the collected works of William Shakespeare and original writing because all of the guys, all everyone that I work with in a circle journals, they can share from that journal if they choose to to get at what it means to be a human being. Hmm. To get at what it means to be a human being. Explain that a little bit more to me. Well, I, I think um, you know, people have different definitions of what hu humanity is, what, what it means to be a human being. I think that for me, and, and, and I'm certainly not alone in this, that the, the ultimate value that we can have as human beings is empathy. Mm. And my journey has been not to fix anybody, but to fix myself. And when you fix yourself in the circle, then you offer the opportunity for non-judgment, mm -hmm. unconditional love, confidentiality. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't have any advice for them. <laughs> I, I, I have stories that I can tell from my life, and that's what we do is we, we tell each other our stories. It's really imp very important for human beings, because we're narrative creatures, to, to be able to tell our story, to have the tools to be able to tell it. And oftentimes with the population that I work with, trauma is so severe, shame is so severe that it uh, disrupts everything. Mm. You don't have language for the trauma that you've experienced. If you don't have language for the trauma that you've inflicted, then it'll never heal. Mm. Uh, there's lots of ways that, that individuals, human beings, try to ameliorate that through addictions. Um, but it, it, it doesn't work. You have to be able to articulate the trauma and shame that you have experienced and understand it, come to know that that is what drove you. And once you comprehend that, then you have the option of 
doing it again or not doing it again. My hope is is that when you reflect, you realize the pain that you've caused, and you don't want to do that again. Mm. And that that movement towards understanding what it means to be a human being. It's an awesome responsibility to be a human being. We don't always do very well with that. You know, it is an awesome responsibility. It, I, I love that you just said that, right, <laughs> Rob? It is an awesome responsibility. We, one of the lessons that I tried to learn, and I, I have a long way to go as a human being, but one of the lessons I tried to learn early as a young adult is the difference between sympathy and empathy. Mm-hmm. And I think you're yeah. right. I think one of the greatest characteristics we can have as a human being is to be empathetic. Yeah. And there's one thing to have sympathy for someone, right? For me to feel uh, for you about the things that you're going through. And, and, and there's another thing for me to try to feel what you're going through, to put myself in your shoes. And art helps us do that in a big way. And maybe I think I'm starting to connect the dots that maybe through all the great works that Shakespeare has created, it allows us to put ourselves in the shoes of all these different characters and what they went through. And maybe it makes these people who are sitting in prison behind bars right now feel a like connection yeah. to all these characters and that there is redemption in all of those. So, boy, the time is just flying. <laughs> Kurt, hang with us because we've got some more to talk to you about when we come back on Magic 107.7 FM from the heart. Welcome back to From the Heart. My name is Rob Lott, and I am in for Mary Thompson Hunt. And uh, I'm here with Joshua Vickery, as always. And uh, today we have our guests, um, Wendy and Kurt, who are taking Shakespeare into uh, the prison systems all around the country um, and, uh, and, and the impact that that can have and the, life's, the lives that can be changed from that. Wendy, um, let's pick up where we left off from, from our conversation uh, before the break. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, just a, a story and, and some of the, the life change that you have seen. Well, I, when I was at um, when I was in Belfast, Northern Ireland, working with uh, ESC, I had the privilege of working with Tom at Hollywell Hospital, which is a mental health facility. And these uh, they were either incarcerated at the time or they were out, but needing to do these programs. And I basically sat at the feet of Tom and watched him do these, uh, as Kurt was talking about, the circle of trust. Um, and these gentlemen had the opportunity to write their own stories and then make their own films about their life stories. Mm-hmm. And I got to see one of these gentlemen who had been dealing with, he was probably on about 15 different medications, used a cane to walk. You would have thought he was at least 60 years old, and he was in his 30s. Mm. And um, I saw him struggle and finally get his story out when he finally felt the trust that he could share his story with the circle um a change started in him um when somebody in the circle said that's an awesome story can i play you in your film it gave him a validation that he had never yeah never had before um within 
the time of the few months where his story was told, it was put on film, he started coming off the different drugs that he had been mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. He, he became a whole person again, and he didn't need his cane. And by the time I was there then working with these gentlemen, Jimmy was with us as um, somebody who was there as a support mechanism for the new people coming into the program. Um, He was helping to head up the new cohorts (laughs) of these gentlemen. Mm -hmm. And to me, it was just awe-inspiring to see what change can happen. Um, I mean... I just threw this out to you a minute ago, Rob, and we mm-hmm. weren't uh, on air, but that, that expression of to be known for the worst thing you've ever done for the rest of your life, yeah. to mm-hmm. me, is just, it, it wakes you up. Yeah. I've heard um, I've heard it said, uh, your past might, um, it might describe you, but it does not define you. Correct. Oh, that's a great word. And yeah. yeah. To well, and, and I'm but they sure, have to have hope. Yeah. yeah. And Kurt, that's really what you live with day in and day out is dealing with people who might be trying to redefine who they are or 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 refine who they are again if they've been through some type of experience um, but uh, tell us maybe you know we know that the arts are essential to life uh, and quality of life and and being a whole human being and that doesn't matter how much money you have or your background or whether or not you're in prison i mean r- really nothing really defines um, who should and should not be able to experience the arts. But tell us maybe a little bit about the, the real impact of what you're seeing. You know, the, you are dedicating your life to this, uh, and it's because you know that it's changing these people's lives. M- maybe give us some facts on that. You know, are there, people, are there percentages out there? Uh, are there a number of cases? You know, what, how do you know this is really working? Well, really two statistics. One is an external statistic, and that's the recidivism rate, uh, which nationally can be as high as 87%, meaning that 87% of the guys, the individuals who get out of prison come back to prison. Um, We track our recidivism rate with our oldest program, which is in Kentucky, 24 years is, is its 24th year. And we have, uh, uh, and we don't use smoke and mirrors. A lot of states will say if you've been out for two years or three years, commit a crime, get convicted, sent back to prison. They don't call it recidivism. The reason that they don't is it's just smoke and mirrors. They don't want you to know how bad the public to know how bad the recidivism rate is. Our prison system is a failure other than it keeps them locked up. And if we're going to continue to lock them up and never let them out, then it will just keep building prisons. Um, our recidivism rate with no smoke and mirrors is 6%. Six guys out of 100 have come back to prison. Wow. None of them for violent crimes. And all of the, almost all of those guys are back out of prison again. On, so on let, me under, let, me, Kurt, let me just make sure I understand this and that our listeners understand this. You're saying that the national average is 87% of people who go to prison for some type of heinous crime are back in prison at some point again. But you're saying once yeah. they've been um, gone through the program, the Shakespeare Behind Bars program, then it, it drops to 6%? Yeah, that's what our, <laughs> our statistic is. What? 
Yes. So we need to make sure that <laughs> yes. this is in every prison across America, right? Yeah. I, and I say that in a, in in not a joking way. That I mean that, and, and I believe you 100 percent because I see it in a in different settings outside of prison. But um, what is it that you think is holding us back from being able to offer this in these settings across our country? Well, uh, too many people make too much money on the backs of prisons. Mm. Um, uh oh, we're getting real now. You know, it's our capitalistic nature. You know, one of the one of the strengths of America is capitalism, and one of the great weaknesses of America is capitalism, because how much money is enough? Um, which is something that we continue to wrestle with and wrestle with and wrestle with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, just there's just too much money being made on the backs of prisons. Um, so the, I, 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 I think that I know in my now home state of Michigan that uh, both sides of the aisle came together when they realized that we were spending about almost 25% of our general operating budget every year on prisons, $2 billion billion b billion dollars a year and that uh everything else was suffering roads were suffering and school education Mm -hmm. was suffering and Mm -hmm. so it really brought the two sides of the aisles together to say well what can we do and and slowly but surely we've been uh, making some reforms and making some headway so um, it it, it's going to take a tenacious nature to to get to that well, Kurt, when when can, somebody, oh, go ahead, Wendy. Can, can I just say that I know that um, prisoners that wind up getting released without some sort of preparing them to assimilate back into mm-hmm. society, those are the ones that are most at risk. And I know that from going to the Shakespeare in Prison conferences and and hearing Kurt speak and speak and hearing some of the other people at the conference, like some one of our friends out in California and seeing the California Arts and Prisons. Um, that these programs help them deal with their feelings, help them deal with what 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 am I going to need to succeed when I get out? Because otherwise, they keep their feelings inside. They have to hide yeah. what they feel to be able to survive mm-hmm. while in prison. Yeah. Well, and I was just going to mention, you know, too, looking at the core values and the, and the creed statement that you guys have. Um, there's a twelve things, and and I. I Everything from a desire to help others to taking responsibility for the crimes that you've committed, you know, to learning about tolerance. You know, you're asking, you know, you're using Shakespeare as the door (laughs) to ask these prisoners to commit to really a a life change when they leave the prison system. Um, Are these things that do they sign a creed, Wendy? Like, is it something that that, would be for Kurt? That would be for Kurt. Do they do they actually sign this? An agreement saying we're gonna we're gonna commit to these things. Yes. Yeah. That's the short answer is yes, they do. <laughs> <laughs> and what happens if they yeah. don't? I mean, are you able to? Is this is it? Te- there's, are there teaching moments along the way through this program? Yeah. There, uh, every circle that I start, we begin with found, forming what our core values for that circle are going to be. They're never the same. They're, oh. Some of the same. But they they each get to put one core value into the center of the circle, and then we uh, talk about them and we assemble them into our our modus of operandi, 
and everything then revolves around those core values. I may not share the same core value as you do as my top one, but I have to be in agreement that I will honor your core value because I want you to honor my core value. And because you're in this circle of trust together. Yeah, and we don't do rules and regulations because... The prison is full of rules. I imagine right. they, have, they get plenty of that. Yeah. Right. I love that how you don't have a set group of core values that it's based upon that circle of people and what they agree to. You know, if you're told these are your core values or you must follow these, that's right. one thing. But when I say these are the core values that I need to follow, that I want to follow, that's a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. That's really absolutely it's incredible. Empowering. So, Kurt. And I'll also say, too, that one of the reasons that I use theater is uh, when you inhabit a character, you get to look through the eyes of someone that's different than you, may yeah. not have the same core values. So what happens is is that's how empathy develops. That's how mm. compassion develops, when you're looking through uh, eyes and you begin to analyze the character. Slowly but surely what happens is you begin to use those same tools that it, you use as an actor to, be, to look at your own life, to explore your own life. We use four questions uh, uh, that are underneath that, what does it mean to be a human being? And these are the four questions that we're always wrestling with. The first one is, who am I? Second one is, what do I love? The third one is, how will I live my life knowing I will die? And the fourth is, what is my gift to humankind? So that takes you literally from birth, from consciousness, all the way through till death. Can you go, say those one more time? <laughs> go back, Kurt. There, yeah. yeah. People should pull their cars over and uh, get I'm out actually of writing these down right now. <laughs> say it again. Is, uh, is, is goes back all the way to pre to Aristotle, who said, "Know thyself." So the first one is, "Who am I?" Um, and the second one is, "What do I love?" And the third is, how will I live my life knowing I will die? And the last is, what's my gift to humankind? That's amazing. And those are the four questions we all wrestle with. Now, you can, we can wrestle with those questions outside, wrestle with those questions outside of prison. It doesn't just have to be unique to prison. Right. These are, this is a distillation of years. This is my 24th year of doing this work. So this is years and years of of distilling and, and, and refining and, and being able to articulate uh, some concrete things for uh, creating circles. Hmm. Kurt, you, um, I, I only know your voice from the, the last couple of minutes that we've been talking, uh, and you just sound so gentle and so loving um, <laughs> and so kind. But Kurt, I'm going to put you on the spot. This is a little bit of a personal question. What gets you fired up? What gets you angry? What get righteously angry, I should say? What, what, what makes you go, oh, no, that has to change? What, what gets you going? Traffic. oh i was not what i was expecting but we sure do empathize with you on that one my friend so uh kurt do you have any um again putting you on the spot a little bit do you have any numbers of people who um who have uh, who are who are living in the arts uh i shouldn't say have access to the arts uh and those people and unfortunately ending up in in a prison system and then also people who have gone with uh, gone through your program um, when they leave do they do they pursue do they try to stay in the arts is do you have any numbers on that 
we we have had uh, some of our our guys that have gotten out in 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 both Michigan and in Kentucky where we run programs um, who have uh, done some theater work. Um, the, it 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 doesn't it become a, 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 an avocation or a voc- vocation really because um, I'm not training them to be actors. I'm just using the tools of theater. Um, that's not uh, the, being a good actor, and we have good actors that have lots of experience as a byproduct of it. What I'm really interested in is uh, I'm an artist that you, you that that uh, does work that's therapeutic. I'm not a therapist that does work that's artistic, and I don't forget the difference between the two. So I'm I'm using it as as a as a bridge for them to explore their inner life, which is uh, one of the reasons that I use Shakespeare because. He was uh, 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 driven to explore the inner lives of his characters. Never been done before, <laughs> uh, theater before he did it, and he's still the best one that I know at it, even 400 plus years after his death. Amazing. Well, Kurt, thank you so much for the work that you do and committing your life to it. Please go check out ShakespeareBehindBars.org. Read all about and keep up with the work that they're doing. Wendy, thank you for coming on the show. No, thank you. And for sharing the work that you've done in this area. And Rob, it's always a pleasure to host the show with you. Rob and Wendy, we need to keep talking about how this can happen yes, here please. in Central Florida. And we talk about arts accessibility. Great. It has to be to everyone. So great. great conversation. And we'll see you next week on From the Heart, Magic 107.7 FM.